Hey, friends, and welcome to the Deep Stack Podcast. I'm your host, Raph. I'm your host, Liam. This is the Deep Stack, the Deep Stack Podcast, where we explore everything in modern and not-so-modern application stacks. Today, we're going to be breaking down Leo's old project, Noundly. So, Leo, do you want to tell us about Noundly? Yeah, it's a, it's a fun little project that I started while I was... Uh, working at Microsoft a decade ago nice. and it started in, uh, this was 2000, um, actually more than a decade ago, like 2011 and, and Microsoft had entered with Azure there, the cloud space. And so there was a hackathon to come up with uh, cloud projects. And, and so Noundly is the project that I built in that hackathon and I kept building on after leaving Microsoft. Actually it started as. It started as stinkybad.com, and I think the URL still works. Name. I, well, why it was funny was Noundly was a website, or is a website. It, it's a URL shortener, but it uses nouns instead of like weird codes, right? So bit.ly and a tiny URL were very big back then, or maybe still are. And I found them frustrating uh, to share the URLs with people uh, in, in real life. They're unusable, right? Because you get a code with like, 8QPR capital 7. Uh, so it doesn't work. And so yeah. I, I had this idea of using Noundly and uh, or nouns, using nouns. And because it was nouns, I took a domain name that was like an adjective. So I, everything was kind of funny. You ended up with stinky bad chair, stinky bad horse, stinky bad, you know, uh, a noun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, I, I build that uh, and I, I build them on a very early Azure, right? The, 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 2011 kind of Azure. Interestingly, Azure was one of the first that provided platform as a service before they even had huh. infrastructure as a service. You, you didn't even have VMs yet. And so it, it ended up being like a Azure website, I think it was called. It was running I on IIS. I vaguely remember that, like that term. <laughs> it was kind of fun. I thought uh, the experience was cool. You, uh, you had the command line. You started a new Azure website project and there was like a dash dash git that would give you a, like a git init folder and as well as a, a remote repo. And then any git push that you did, uh, they had their builder uh, that I, I forgot what it's called, like something with a cake that would look at your files and then figure out whether it was like a Python or a, a C sharp. I think the initial, the first version I I built was C-sharp and then it would build it and, and push it and host it. And, and that experience to go from, um, you know, using the command line to get an empty folder and then get commit, get push. And it was up and running. I think everybody was still catching up to, to that behavior, uh, to that ex dev experience. So I, yeah. I really liked it. Of course, awesome. it was, was very Microsofty, you know, like it was like C-sharp. <laughs> Uh, only IIS, no no Linux containers. Uh, so, um, yeah. So, so that was the the first version of Stinky Bad. <laughs> but then when I when I left Microsoft, that's when I started using like more open source tools. So yeah. I, I rewrote the app in uh, D Lang. Like that, that was like the 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 thing, Never the language that, that I used for my hobby <laughs> hobby projects. Um, and so I I I I wanted to use that. Uh, I started using, uh, instead of, of course, Dlang, if you push decodes to the, to the Azure website, so didn't know what to do with it. 
So I had to build my own uh, image, but then by that time, Azure websites had Docker support. So you could actually, uh, it, it could uh, host containers as well as raw. Uh, what raw year was that? Host. Sorry? What year was that, that they started to support Docker containers? Oh, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe 16 or something, 2016. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't right. remember. I was... That was some much later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was surprised. I was like, wait, that the timeline, I, I, I thought it was just like maybe a, a few years after. And I was like, that's, that's impressive. Well, or that, that early on the container on, train. So that particular feature with, with Docker containers got renamed a bunch of times. Okay. Uh, now it's even now, I think it's called, uh, Azure website for Docker or something. I, okay. I, I don't, I don't of keep course. up with the naming. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I. So that the whole stack from Stinky Bad yeah. has been completely rewritten around that time, like maybe five, six, um, or 2016-ish. Okay. So that's when I also got the domain name Nounly, noun.ly. Actually, that nice. was a little earlier, I think. Maybe 2015, to be honest. Because people liked it. You know, people started using it. Uh, Stinky Bad, I actually got, I, I got like a bunch of emails from users that said, hey, I, I want to use uh, Stinky Bad on my uh, presentation but I, I cannot show stinkybad.com on, on at work, you know? So That's is there funny. a way I can have a, a different domain name? Yeah. Um, and actually it, it was presentations was the perfect use case because yeah, URLs in a presentation are pretty much pointless because people can't get it and they'll have to wait until you mail, if, if you mail them the deck. Yeah. Um, and so at, around that same time, I got the domain noun dot ly as well as nounly.com and I, I added qr code code generator so that on your slide you could put both the noun as well as the the qr code uh which awesome. because the nouns are short the qr code kind of had a uh, didn't require very high resolution right because you didn't have a lot of bits to put in there yeah um so at that time the new well now old but the new stack uh, was uh, built, right? So the backend was rewritten in Dlang using uh, D's Vibe D uh, web framework, okay. which was, back then was state of the art. It was like asynchronous, you know, all the, all the, the good stuff, uh, coroutines, all, all the stuff that, you know, uh, the, the new modern web frameworks in Node.js, Python, uh, Rust, they, they all use that same kind of architecture. Right now, Vibe D is very dated. Uh, um, but yeah, so, uh, that's what it's using oh, now. Yeah. So if you go to noun.ly, that, that's what it's using. It's using the 5D at the backend. Uh, it, it's not using any, any front-end framework. Everything is like, uh, pretty raw, uh, <laughs> handwritten, uh, JavaScript and CSS. I, I think it, it was using, what's the Twitter CSS framework called again? Oh, uh, bootstrap. I guess so. Yeah. Bootstrap. I think it was using bootstrap. I kind of forgot because I haven't touched, I haven't touched it in a long time. You know what I love? So I just went to the website. <laughs> I like that you have a little beta, beta banner on uh, the, the top left. Actual beta I got from Google. So I, <laughs> that's that. That's like a disclaimer. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a 12 year old beta. 12 year old beta. Um, so the, the, so talk about deep stack, right? So front end is, uh, handwritten HTML. Uh, with uh, CSS, that's, no that's, jQuery. Uh, call that artisanal HTML now. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, 
which to be honest for that kind of single page app i really think i don't need a i, I, I don't need a framework right i agree the the, the jquery's biggest feature the dollar sign yeah. i just built as a you know as a one liner uh, and so to reference uh, elements you you i i use that uh, that same kind of uh, style yeah um uh, I also, and, and so there's only one rest call, basically there, you can uh, create a noun and you can dereference a noun. So that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, I also built, uh, two, uh, two native apps for iOS and Android in similar fashion. I, I, I didn't use any framework for those. Are they still uh, up on the app stores? They should be there. All right. Yeah. Cool. But honestly, I, I, I need to revamp them. I, I wonder if they still still work because as the oh. plenty of times the, the operating system, um, get revamped and, and if you do not recompile and re-upload your app, they'll, they'll just don't make it show up on the newer devices. And so it's possible that, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's no longer recompile. listed. It could be. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so I, I didn't use a, a framework for the native apps. Yeah. Partly because that, that is kind of how I learn things and same, same as, you know, not using jQuery and using JavaScript and, and writing CSS and HTML. If you don't know the pain points of doing that, mm -hmm. I, I don't think you'll, you'll know the value that frameworks provide or which framework even to go for, because that's fair. You, 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 you want to address that pain. And if maybe the pain isn't even there, like in the case of of, of front-end for Nowly, honestly, there is no pain in using JavaScript and XML HTTP. There was no fetch API, right? So the XML HTTP request to talk to a backend, honestly, it's, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Incidentally, my team in Microsoft was in charge of XML HTTP requests. So <laughs> I did not have a problem with XML <laughs> HTTP requests. Yep. <laughs> One of my first tasks joining that team was actually uh, XML HTTP requests had been added to Microsoft Internet Explorer by the office team. Okay. It became a standard afterwards. And then people started complaining that, that Microsoft browser didn't support the standard. So uh, <laughs> my first task was to change XML HTTP requests in Internet Explorer to follow the standard. So that was kind of a fun task. So for me to use XML HTTP requests was, was not a big issue. If you know the, the quirks, it, it's a. Uh, it, it was never intended as a, as a beautiful API for external use. It just became the begin, beginning of Ajax, right? Um, yeah. Um, so that was the front end. And again, doing that handwritten full circle loop really makes you appreciate when to use a framework, what framework you, to use, which parts to use it for, instead yeah. of blindly using every feature available. Right? Um, and so the same for, for the native apps, this is again, a, a one page application. Um, I, I didn't feel the need Objectives to use like, uh, in Java. So I think I, I used Kotlin on Android Okay. and I used, uh, well, Swift on iOS. Yeah. And, and, and here's my biggest takeaway from this project was that once you design your model view view model, right? Your, your model view controller, the, the new model view, view model, MVVM architecture. Once you design that architecture, uh, it's the same for both apps. Yeah. And, and so defining what your model looks like, what your model view looks like, what your views look like, that is 
80% of the job, then translating that into, translating that twice, once into Swift and once into, into Kotlin, it's not is, a big deal. Negligible. Like yeah. it, it's like, um, like the, I, I always say like in our profession, typing is the least of my worry, you know, <laughs> like designing something like good architecture and, and a stable, uh, resilient architecture that, that is the hard part. Right. So. So what you're saying is chat GPT is not taking our jobs just yet. Well, unless they get into, in, <laughs> in, into the designing part. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> typing the same architecture twice, once in, in Kotlin, once in Swift, no problem at all. In fact, both apps are open source. And, and, and if you look at them, it's kind of funny. I, all the files and the folders have the same name. It's just one is written for iOS and the other one is, is written in, uh, in Kotlin. And then there's, of course, there's 20% is uh, different in the operating system. Yeah, you, once you get to storage, for example, they all have their, their own way of doing uh, local preferences, local store, uh, stuff like that. Yeah. Their, their fetch API, you know, the HTTP API is a little different. Yeah. But honestly, you, you write small, thin abstractions, and then the rest of your app looks the same. And it's beautiful because you end up with the same bugs in both. And you fix them <laughs> as opposed to if you're used to uh, web frameworks, if you yep. use an iOS framework or, or like one of those phone gap things, Yeah, uh, I'm not a fan. You get their own, they have their own quirks and now you're one step further away from the, the source of the problem. And I find debugging a higher level problem always harder than debugging a low level one. Yeah. I can um, see that. I will, in a, in a future episode, perhaps I will push back on a little bit of that, but yeah. I, I, I know exactly when to appreciate those yeah. uh, frameworks <laughs> after yeah. having, you know, doing the, the, the manual work. Yep. Um, so we, we're going through the stack, right? We, we have, uh, artisanal HTML, JavaScript, <laughs> CSS, yeah. uh, two, uh, native apps, uh, Kotlin and, and Swift, um, a, a rest API, very straightforward rest API with just CRUD. Prod on nouns, basically, you know, you can post, you get a noun, you can delete that noun, you can get it to dereference the noun. What, uh, what database are you using? Um, yeah. Okay. That is still Azure table actually. So <laughs> I, I wanted to, in that new world of cloud, uh, they had introduced Azure, uh, Azure blob store, Azure table store. And, uh, there was a third one. The, the very early storage services or Azure queue. Yeah. Those were the first three high level storage services that Azure provided back in the, the early tens. And so I, I used Azure table, okay. which, which is kind of like a precursor to Dynamo, right? Uh, Dynamo might've been around actually, because a Azure was really catching up on, on a Amazon in the early, early cloud years. Yeah. But Azure table was perfect because I have this key value kind of behavior and, and the key is the nouns. Wait, but so Noun you had nouns. this, you had this back in 2011? Right. Yep. So I was using Azure table. I am still using Azure table <laughs> as a key value store. Yeah. Um, so as stinky bad and now they got more popular, I, I ran out of nouns and so the nouns became limited in time. So after 24 hours, your link might no longer be valid because it, there's like a garbage, yeah. lazy garbage collection that's happening. And okay. what you can get, and, and as nouns are taken, you end up with more nouns. So instead okay. of stinky bad chair, you would end up with stinky bad horse chair, right? And okay. it still was fun 
oftentimes yeah. you end up with very fun combinations. Yeah. Um, and, and key value store is perfect, right? You have a, you have a key and, and the, the value becomes the URL that is being dereferenced, but plus a bunch of metadata. Uh, interestingly, as soon as these, the site was up and running, I, I got a shitload of spam. Because of all of these bots, anytime they see a edit box, they just yeah. put links in it, right? You get like a lot of spam. So, so in in the backend, I I, I think sixty percent of the backend code is anti-spam. So <laughs> I, I do like the, the I, I do like a honeypot in the HTML form, right? So yeah. that means like a bogus field with like yeah. a, a display none CSS class. Yep. That bots if bots put something in there. And yeah. you know, it's a bot. I, I reference uh, two external honeypots. So there is the honeypot project. Actually, that, that was Cloudflare's first project. Uh, Cloudflare's, uh, before it was called Cloudflare, that was honeypot yeah. uh, project.org, I think, <laughs> uh, where people would um, volunteer to put a piece of form on their website that Cloud, the honeypot, so the early Cloudflare would uh, use to detect um, bots and, and keep a, a, a blacklist of these, uh, of these bots, of these IP addresses that these bots were using. That's and so awesome. that was called a RBL, I think, uh, RBL stood for uh, request block list or something. I forgot what the R stood for. Yeah. Um, and, so, and, and there's another one, uh, spamhouse.org. So I did both of these have public RBLs. And these RBLs, you can query them using DNS. It's actually kind of funny, an API designed on DNS. So to, to query these databases, you would craft a, a DNS request. So you would ask, what is the IP for, you know, for this domain? But yeah. the domain is not, not a real domain, right? So you basically the, you, the, the, the IP address that you want to query, uh, you, you prepend it to their uh, RBL domain. So. I think it was like rbl.spamhouse.org and rbl.projecthoneypot.org. Uh, and so you, you prepend the IP address and then it, it would return an IP address. If it says not found, like, you know, an X domain, uh, IP not, uh, a domain address not found, then, then yeah. it was not in the list. If it returns an IP address, then that IP address, instead of, it's not a real IP address. In fact, it would always be localhost, always okay. do 127.00. X and then the yeah. last digit uh, of the IP address actually tells you some metadata about you know why <laughs> it was blocked. Okay, it's I feel like I vaguely remember coming across this many years ago. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, uh, and so and and so I, I did that. I did the the form honeypot two uh, RBL queries, and then there's a little bit of um, because my Nowly doesn't have a login, so it doesn't have an idea of a session. Yeah, and I didn't want to get into that. Um, that, that is like a rabbit hole I didn't want to get into. Yeah. Um, so to prevent spam, I did, um, kind of proof of work. So, so the, the not only JavaScript, when you post yeah. the JavaScript calculates a bunch of hashes with, with, uh, with the current time, uh, and, uh, and the salt that keeps changing until that hash ends in a number of, a bunch of zeros. It's kind of like how, how the early. Well, so how, how Bitcoin, but also the early, um, cash hash. So cash hash was an anti-spam pre, pre-Bitcoin, right? Okay. Uh, anti-spam mechanism. Yeah. And so inspired by cash hash, 
the, the website, when you do a post on only form, it, it does a bunch of these iterations until it has a hash with a bunch of zeros. And then it's very quickly to test backend whether there's zeros in the, in the hash. So using these, that's why I mean, 60% is anti-spam in, in the, in the backend because yeah. the actual key value is, is very simple. Oh. Yeah. Um, cool. yeah, so, uh, we have the storage is uh, just key value store. Yeah. It can, honestly, it can be any key value store because I'm not using any, any fanciness. The, the only fancy feature, it's not fancy anymore because now every store provides it. The only, it, the only fanciness is the optimistic locking, right? So if you have multiple, uh, customers going to the website, multiple yeah. users going to the website and they, because of their, the algorithm is deterministic when it returns a noun for a URL, mm -hmm. um, um, it's not random. Okay. And so it's, it, there, there's a risk that both would get the same noun. And so how do you prevent this kind of concurrency? And I'm using optimistic locking. Optimistic locking boils down to every record, keeping track of a version. And when that record is updated, so for, and in the nounly case, the key is the, the noun or nouns that you were, that you're about to get, right? So when yeah. a record gets updated, it has to provide the version that it's of the record that it's updating. So if somebody wins the race, then your version would no longer match. And, the, and there's an iteration loop a second time where it takes another noun and, and it would try again until it, your browser wins the race and, and you get the nouns uh, displayed in, in your browser window. So optimistic locking is how you avoid like locking database tables, locking records, all this kind of locking, which is if you do not unlock, you know, you, you can get into a deadlock, you can get into uh, a, a lock that, that has to expire before somebody can do something. So locking to me is something to be avoided. Yeah. And, and now a, a lot of these key value stores, right? Redis, uh, Nats, Dynamo, they all have this yeah, optimistic locking uh, as a pattern. Yeah. So, um, so and then, then the last thing I was around the same time, I, I got to know, uh, Nix. So the Nix package manager, I've been using Mac OS, but with the Nix package manager and, and the Nix package manager, uh, can build Docker images. And it's kind of cool because if you use Nix to build a Docker image, the Docker image will guarantee contain only stuff that is referenceable, right? That the, the way Nix works, everything has a hash based on the, the sources that were used to generate. Okay. And so when you start with your binary, which is my nounly D language binary, yep. it basically scans that binary. And if there's a hash to TZ data, it DC data will be pulled in. If there's a hash to glibc, which the there probably isn't because it was using dlang, <laughs> it would pull that in, right? So everything yeah. because of this 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 uh, tree of hashing, it would only pull in stuff that are is actively being referenced by that uh, that binary, the 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 final the final binary. So you you end up with very small uh, Docker images from scratch, basically the the, the equivalent uh, as writing your own from scratch and copying only the, the, the stuff that you would need. Yeah. So that was, that was kind of cool. Uh, not only really let me experiment with all these utilities, mm, but cool. yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an old website. Uh, the, the apps might have been delisted, so it needs some love and I probably need to spend yeah. some, some time to, to revamp it. So, so how are you going to do that? 
<laughs> That's a good question. Like, I probably wouldn't use Dlang anymore. No. Not, not because of the language. <laughs> I think the language is still being actively developed, getting new features. Cool. Dlang is, is not well known, but yeah. it's, it's a lot of the features make it into the other languages. Like Rust has, has features that, that started in Dlang. C++, awesome. the new C++ has features that started in Dlang. <laughs> that is so cool. I, I really feel it's, it's kind of fun having followed that language and the design and the discussions behind the features that are being added. It, it, it taught me a lot. It's just that 5D, the web framework, is is really old right now. Mm. Yeah, their uh, website I mean, looks a little, a little dated. Yeah, it's very dated. <laughs> I don't think there's a new modern alternative. So I would probably use like a Go or TypeScript. Hey, to, the to latest, it. latest commit to Vibe D was eight hours ago. So actively well, maintained. I don't know how sure, actively. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I think it is being maintained, yeah, but I wonder how much of those are just fixing breakage uh, <laughs> happening by the compiler, the compiler features are being added. Yeah, it yeah. still hasn't gotten to a version one. It's still at 0.9.6. No, there you go. Yeah, yeah. not great. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't use Azure Table probably as another one of those things that, that I don't think it got any features. In fact, I, I, considering the size of my data set, it's not big, right? Um, yeah. Because the nouns expire after 24 hours, the number of keys that I have to keep in memory is pretty constant, doesn't change much. It's not very big. I could probably keep the whole thing in memory. Uh, of course, I cannot use local memory, right? I, as I have multiple instances of my backend up and running. Yeah. I, they need uh, like a consistent memory store. Uh, a consistent store, yeah. But I could probably do it in Redis or NATs. So I would use either one of those two. Perfect in-memory databases. I don't need persistence. Like the what is the worst that can happen if I if I lose all my instances and and all the keys and the values are gone. Mm -hmm. Like only the active nouns would have been affected, and which are not that many. So yeah. that's probably the better architecture as opposed to doing like a round trip to a persistent database like Azure Table. Right, it's a little bit overkill. Yeah. Um, um, but you, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't switch to a to a a full full blown front end framework with. <laughs> I could be tempted. I, actually, I would be tempted to. Yeah. Um, what would be the value there? So just uh, for fun, or would there um, be some value? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe just for fun. To, I mean, like, fun is I, valuable. To to me, a project like Nounly is perfect uh, ground to to experiments with. Right, like. Okay. Uh, what would it look like using Vue? What would it look like using React? You know, how, and how do you compare? Like, how do you quantify the costs and 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 the the value of these uh, of these frameworks? Yeah, yeah. But the one that I um, the one that I personally haven't used yet, but would love to try, and maybe now only would be a occasion to try it, is Felt Kit. So yeah. maybe I, I, I would try that for now only 2.0. Get it, it out does. of data. Yeah, finally removed that that little flag. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, it, it's a fun little project. Um, I still use it in my presentations. Uh, there is, it has some usage. I mean, I'm not marketing it. Um, you know, it, if people like it, let me know. If people think, if if it doesn't work, let me know. If uh, <laughs> there's a feature you would like to see, let me know. It's quite quite fun for me to iterate on. That's noun.ly, right? Noun.ly. Awesome. Sorry. A little uh, Easter egg. 
Yeah. Uh, if you go to noun mom, M-O-M, it goes to a Fiverr video that one of my friends got me when I launched Stinky Bad. And so it still references Stinky Bad, but it's hilarious. Like I, maybe I should do a, ask the same guy to do a new one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Oops, that's my camera. Deciding it has been half an hour. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening. We are building projects that should make it a lot easier for developers to build projects like Nounly. Yeah, check, check out defang.io, which is making building web apps cheaper, easier, and more resilient. And check out the Chewy stack at gochewy.io, a deep stack framework that helps developers build better products faster. That's defang, D-E-F-A-N-G dot I-O and gochewy.io, G-O-C-H-E-W-Y dot I-O. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. See ya.